Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. Moment of silence. Stephen Godfrey will not be joining us. We gave him some time off, Aaron. His brain, much like our own, is a bunch of mush right now. And at this time of the year, Stephen takes a break so that his marriage can stay intact. Uh, so he will be off for a couple of weeks. We will have him back soon at some point. That is uh, for sure. But uh, we had to give him a break, Aaron. We just we had he, he needed some time to breathe. My brain's fried also, but we're going to keep we're going to give it a good old college try and keep going. <laughs> Yes, we will. Uh, we will discuss the television ratings and expansion, which are two topics we've discussed on the show before. But I sort of want to do it from a different sort of perspective today um, as, as it pertains to the future of, of the SEC and college football. So we'll do that a little bit here. Uh, obviously, there's news about JT Daniels, Caleb Williams, the former Oklahoma quarterback, all that. By the time you're listening to this, could have already been worked out. But as of time of recording on Tuesday afternoon, JT Daniels was reported to go into the portal and Caleb Williams was still out of it. So, you know, again, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into our thoughts on what we think about that situation if and when it happens. Um, we'll take a look at some of the players in the NFL playoffs, of course, some of the quarterbacks and, and how that matters uh, to the SEC as well. Um, we got some Athlon Sports early predictions we'll mention a little bit later on. Matt Baker is going to join us from the Tampa Bay Times. He's covering the Florida Gators as Billy Napier is surging on the recruiting trail right now as they've gone from the mid seventies up into the mid thirties. So we'll, we'll get an update on Billy Napier's first six to eight weeks on the job. Uh, however, before we do any of that, Aaron Dugan fringe element is still in fact brought to you by Jasper's though, your culinary hotspot that does not sit on the throne of lies, but in fact basks in the truth. Okay. And also has, Amazing fries. They, they do have amazing fries. Really, really, really good fries. Great drink specials, great happy hour, even better parking, which is free, which doesn't happen anywhere in downtown Nashville. Uh, and of course, it's called the next evolution of the sports bar for a reason, Aaron Dugan, for a reason. So go to, go to Jasper's, check out Jasper's, hang out at Jasper's. It's a great place to watch the NFL playoffs, all your National Predators games. We got NBA. The Grizzlies are great. Your boys. The Grizzlies are mm -hmm. freaking awesome right now. So Tennessee sports right now. Yeah, professional sports. The Titans are great. The Preds are great. The Grizzlies are great. Uh, Tennessee and Vanderbilt football. Uh, eh, okay. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. There's some positive vibes in, in the eastern portion of the state. but Cold chill goes down my spine. <laughs> we know those vibes don't ever last in Knoxville. So, uh, All right. So the TV ratings and the expansion thing, the, the two conversations sort of go hand in hand. We've talked a lot about this, Aaron, with, with Stephen before in the past, but we actually have some numbers now. We didn't have those last week on the show. Uh, 22.5, 22.6 million viewers for the national championship game, Georgia versus Bama. That is plus 19% from 2020, which is one of the worst watched games, lowest watched games of, of the modern era. Um, it is down 11% from 2019. So a rebound, <laughs> right. A rebound from pandemic championship ratings, but down from what was a, an LSU blowout in that game, really? So, which was arguably one of the greatest teams we've ever seen in the sport. So maybe that had something to do with the 2019 still being up above 11% above this past game, but we have already seen George Alabama a couple of times. Maybe people were sick of it, but it sounds like from those stats, it's not really the direction we're trending in. I, I th this is, this is the direction I wanted to go. Cause I think we've talked a lot about like sec fatigue, right? We've talked a lot about the sec perception nationally. And is it bad for the sport? Greg Sankey, of course, this is why it's going to tie into expansion because Greg Sankey is, 
basically you talked about a throne of lies. Like Greg Sankey is sitting on a throne of threats and he's just sitting there going like, don't expand. That's fine. We're happy with two teams playing in the national championship game, which has now happened three times in the last 10 years. So what's interesting about this, and this is what I wanted to ask you, because the average NFL game is a, the CBS average in 2021, this past year was a, was 21.6 million people. The average for a Fox broadcast on Sunday was 23.1. So the average NFL broadcast on Fox on Sunday beat the national championship game every single Sunday. So that's just a statement of sort of where college football is in the hierarchy of, of football, like the NFL is king. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is, and this is the, the angle I wanted to bring up with you, is has, has, has sort of an all-SEC or Southeastern-dominated sport topped out? Like, you and I still watched every minute. You know, we all loved the game. The South loved the game. Ratings were huge in Nashville and Charlotte and Atlanta and Birmingham, like always. But is, and it was a great game. Two great teams playing a close game that are deserving. Is that the max? Like, have we just sort of reached the, the cap for an all-Southern national championship? I think it would be hard to say that. I just think of those two things as much as they're, you know, we can compare collegiate sports to professional, but it's just really not the same beast. I don't think that should be assigned to us that it's on the down and out or that people are totally over it. I mean, NFL is just an experience. It's not as geographically dictated. It is kind of, but teams move around. People grow up watching Joe Montana or their favorite, whatever players were playing at the time. Um, and fantasy football, honestly, it might sound stupid, but it has a lot to do with it too. People just tuning in Sunday and, you know, Mondays is just an event. I don't necessarily feel like college football is just going to be one of those, you know, non-regional dictated uh, sports like the NFL is. I don't know if it'll ever get there. Now I understand comparing the national championship to it. Cause that's a little bit different. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's hit its max, but I don't know what would take it higher. Well, I, <clears throat> and I guess I should channel my inner Godfrey here, which is like USC versus Ohio state or whatever. Maybe that th those are huge fan bases, different regions of the country. I'm just like, to your point, we know the South is going to dominate unless some major changes happen, right? Like the South region, you know, even if Miami's good, Florida State's good. We've talked about this on the show a lot. I, I just, I'm curious because that is the best, like, the game can kind of offer, right? Like, Georgia and Alabama, one and two, two big brands, two great teams, a historic matchup, and a really good game. And the difference is, I, I, I agree with you, you can't compare the NFL numbers to the college numbers. That's just never going to be fair. But if you compare apples to apples, the NFL is way up across the last six years. Like it's the highest rated regular season since, since 2015, according to the numbers, whereas our championship game was down over the last six years, minus 2020, which is sort of the exception. You got to throw that game out because pandemic and wave your hands wildly around in the air and you know, all the stuff, but that, that, that's what I'm curious about. Cause that's the, that's one of the best things we can offer as college football fans is to that, what we got on Monday night. And it's still, didn't hit those like really peak big time numbers of like 2014 or, you know, some of the numbers before that. So I'm just, I just, to me, it feels like we've kind of, there's still interest. It's still great. It's still an awesome game. It's still a great sport, great product, but I think we might've reached the cap, which is something that of course, Godfrey preaches to us all the time. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's going to be years that it's going to ebb and flow. I don't necessarily think it's just on the down and out, but the, like we talked about, I mean, there's a great story in Stetson Bennett 
now that he, that they won. I mean, it was always a great story if you paid attention and he's a walk on and he's JT Daniels is the front runner and he's become more of a character once Georgia was able to like, whoo, we did it. And then everyone's rallying behind him. But there are going to be ebbs and flows of these huge characters, like not saying there's going to be a Joe Burrow anytime soon, but just those big name people that are, you know, kind of electric to watch. And I do think that ratings and stories will spike sometimes because of that. But I mean, there's you have to think about that also that I don't know how many Auburn fans. I wonder if, you know, there's so many more college teams. There's 32 NFL teams, the exception, like there's, you know, only a couple in like the region that I even grew up in. And there's less like less splitting of attention as well which is which is why we're all college football fans down here in the south and 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 again if you're listening to this show you're obviously a pretty diehard southern sec football fan so we're sort of like in the we're in our own echo chamber here about sec football talking about sec football with other sec football diehards and we sort of have to ask ourselves like all right is this as good as it's going to get which which brings us to expansion and i i started started thinking like all right the SEC went after Texas and Oklahoma because it was the biggest thing they could do, right? Like it was the, there wasn't a bigger move to be made. Like there's no counteract from that. Like the big 10 can't like counter that with something unless they add like Notre Dame and USC or something. Like I don't, I don't know what the counter would be. Right. So I, I started thinking like, all right, well let's go the other direction. If it is going to be regionalized, it is going to be like lacrosse and we are just going to be a Southern dominated sport because the rest of the, the PAC 12 just doesn't care. And like Childer said last week on the show or, you know, let's lean into it and let's see how far down the like Southern SEC echo chamber can we go. And that would include further expansion. And are we okay? Would we be okay with basically like an NFL style 2022 team, whatever SEC versus the big 10 and just have it like be the AFC versus the NFC SEC versus big 10, the big 10 absorbs half the ACC and the big 12 and the SEC absorbs half the ACC and the big 12 and all of a sudden we've got two monster conferences that are just like the AFC and NFC. Wouldn't this, I think the South would be totally fine with that. Yeah. I'm trying to think of through the trickle down effects, all of the negatives that would come with that. Also, even though we can see an example in the NFL, it's hard for me to think about exactly what kind of like snowball effect that would have. It wouldn't be good for the sport. Like it's, be. The, it's the opposite of what we all have been talking about for, for months now. Like, Oh, how do we disperse the talent and make it more equitable? I'm I'm now looking at it from a different angle. Like, let's make it less equitable. Let's just go all in on Southern domination. If we can't stop it from happening anyway, <laughs> what would it look like if we did that? And I get, here's what it is. It's Virginia Tech and it's North Carolina. Those are the two that I would look at. Because I don't think you can go like West Coast. I don't think you can go up North to take Notre Dame away. For the next edition of the SEC. Yeah, yeah. If, if the SEC is going to expand, mm-hmm. you, you have to add a new state to your footprint. And North Carolina and Virginia yep. are both like just sitting right there <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for, for the taking. Maybe Cincinnati as an outlandish idea because it would give you Ohio. I don't know. I just am thinking yep. like, all right, if you're going to expand and we're going to dominate the sport, let's really do it and, and <laughs> capture every dollar you can. What would that look like? Yeah, you're. I mean, the Virginia Tech, North Carolina thing is a good first instinct because the footprint, which uh, comes down to more than just geography, it's TV contracts. 
um, which is why we talked about this on the show before that it was a huge part of the decision to add Missouri and AM was because they were states that we didn't, the SEC didn't already have a footprint in. So I'm with you there. Um, after that, what happens? <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, <laughs> NC State's interesting. That They have a really nice fan base, passionate fan base. West Virginia is a very SEC football team. Like West Virginia is mm-hmm. like, they just don't have any people <laughs> in in the state for a yeah. lot of reasons. But that is as <laughs> like, if we could trade Missouri to the Big Ten and acquire West Virginia, West Virginia not only adds a state, it's not a big TV market, but it adds a state because then you can uh, you can increase your cable um, charges. Every state you add, you can add a, ca- a cable fee to your distribution um, for like the SEC network, for example. I, I just... Virginia Tech and North Carolina for me would be the first two. NC State would be on that conversation. And then West Virginia, if you added those four, you'd add three new states. And I think you'd you'd get to what 20 teams. And like who's watching? You would watch SEC football. Everybody would you get to like, 20? That'd be four. No, yeah, 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 you would because we already added Oklahoma and Texas. Right. Okay. I'm with you. So you're at 20. The Big Ten does the same thing, right? Takes a bunch of, you know, takes up Kansas schools and you know, whatever, Iowa State, and then adds like I don't know, Boston College or something to, to capture Massachusetts or something like that, you know, a good academic school in the Northeast or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, if the West Coast doesn't care, <laughs> what, what do we, we can't make them care. Is there anyone, where does it stop? Is there any, is there any possibility for people flip-flopping? Because there's been a lot of talk. I saw, I can't remember where I read this, but someone said, if you think anyone is not interested in going to the SEC, you're not paying attention because it's just the most dominant beast in the game. Is there anyone with any limitation that would turn their nose up to that? No, Notre Dame, because they could turn their nose up at That's like the only one. a chariot of solid gold. Like we could we could present <laughs> them with a chariot of solid gold and they'd be like, mm, is that 21 carat? Eh, 14? What is that? Seven Has Jesus touched that? <laughs> no, I I do think your point though, like as we joke about this, is where's the end game? Like where does it stop? And if you're if te- if if the SEC can go get Texas and Oklahoma, and that adds better games, so you can charge more for season tickets and you can charge more for your television package. But why why would they stop? Like if if they just could keep going, and again, Clemson and Florida State are great programs, but they don't add a ton in terms of television market Clemson, I could see them adding because it would, you know, like it's such a good program right now with Dabo, but that they've also had some bad years. That's why I went with North Carolina, Virginia. I don't know how you feel like you could add Miami, Florida state and Clemson and just decapitate the ACC. And that's what I would be worried about if I'm these other conferences. Like if you don't expand the sec might be coming for your ass. (laughs) This is how it feels like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, because there are there. I mean, that is a concern because as the ACC is at catching momentum and I I felt like things were going to follow TV. I'm not saying that's why the SEC was already um, had the reputation that it did have when the SEC network became a thing. And ESPN and Disney expanded to that. But whoever gets picked up next has an advantage, which was the ACC. And I think that, you know, if they were able to ride that out a little bit longer before all of this stuff starting to change, it would have been of benefit to them because the more presence you have on TV, the more uh, your name is in recruits mouths and it's just a snowball effect, but they're, they, they're stomping their feet and dragging them right now. Um, And I would love to know exactly why. (laughs) Um, 
I, I think I think there's no answer for why the ACC is doing it. I think there's some answers for why other conferences are doing it. I think the Pac-12 mm-hmm. is sort of just like indifferent at this yeah. point. I think the Pac-12 is just sort of like, whatever. That's we'll fine. Go, yeah, we'll just go along, get along. Like they're the they're the the guy at the with the group that's just like, yeah, whatever movie, whatever bar we're going to, it's fine. Like I'll just go with the group. It's cool. I think the Big Twelve and and Notre Dame. And this is the other thing. If playoff expands, Notre Dame is basically locked into never having to join a conference, which is why the also why the ACC is holding out because they want to force they want Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yes. So that's another part of this. The, the Big Ten is fine. They just want to work out the automatic qualifiers. Again, the SEC is the one conference that can sit here and just say, y'all don't want to expand? Fine. We're just going to take your teams. And yeah. like, that's that's a dangerous place to be if you're anybody else. So we, we've sort of – how about Oklahoma State? Would you like – if you're going to add two, four, six teams, whatever, where where do you want to go? Forget about the money. Just what do you want to see on the field? Hmm. I mean, I w- would, without money being consideration, I mean, I would, the Clemson would be fun. Um, The two that you said, that's definitely, that would absolutely be the next step. North Carolina and Virginia Tech. I have no doubt about that. I think you're spot on there. Um, I mean, Florida State depends on the year. It ebbs and flows. They're pretty I mean, good. They're pretty good normally. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's hard not to say Miami, Florida State, Clemson, Oklahoma State to sort of package all the rivalries together. Yeah. But you that get Oklahoma and Oklahoma State back, Texas, Texas A&M. I mean, for excitement behind the game. Yeah. Keep the rivalry, rivalries together. Damn, I struggle with that word. Yeah. Health of the sport, not good. No bueno. None of this conversation is good for the health of the sport. So we are acknowledging on the front end of this conversation that we know this would be bad for college football, but let's just say who cares for a second. Let's focus on us, the sec. (laughs) What would, what would be best for us? And if we're going to do that, uh, I think it's going out to get these teams. I would add Oklahoma state. I would add West Virginia. I would add probably Virginia tech, North Carolina, NC state. And I guess those big teams in the ACC you go after those big teams too, but like North Carolina, Kentucky in the same conference for basketball sounds awesome. Wow. Yeah. That would be sick. Every year you can still play Duke Carolina. It's fine. You can still, you got to do that. You can still play Duke, but that there's so many more games. So it's, you know, you get, you still have those options to keep your rival rivalries intact. I, I know everybody's heard the expansion stuff in the playoff the playoff ratings and the sec fatigue thing. I think we've heard that a million times. I just thought we'd come at it from a different angle today. And, um, cause I started thinking like if, if what happens if they don't actually do what the sec wants and I'm like, who's to stop them from just doing the Texas, Oklahoma thing again. <laughs> cause like you said, there's no way that anyone turns down that invitation. Like nobody, you think Cincinnati says no to the sec? Of course not. Well, also the SEC is still going to just expanding in and of themselves. If you're talking about TV money, which I know there's $450 million on the line here, that's going to be split up between everyone. If you know, the expansion goes through, but as with the SEC, that, that check goes up every single year with the more teams you add. So right now, when I was the Vandy, it was like 46, 47 million a year from SEC network. Then you add, I don't know what it's going to be with Texas and Oklahoma, but it will be significantly more. And then it could just continue to go up. So it's not like the SEC is not benefiting at all. You're still winning. You're still dominating college football as a whole, and you're still making more money. So they have a lot more leverage. The only other person that even has TV leverage and money like that is the AC 
ACC. And if you're not adding more teams, your check's not going up with significance. Oh, I, think, I think it's the Big Ten that has that. I think the Big Ten is because they're still making more money than the SEC per school. The ACC, their 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 uh, their grant of rights, the the value of their television contract is plummeting, and that's why I'm that's why I'd be concerned about those programs if I was in charge of the ACC, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. And what's interesting, I, I want to say, don't quote me on this number, but I want to say the value of the TV contract, if you add Texas and Oklahoma, is worth about a hundred million dollars per year. So if you, so then you divide that through by sixteen, and so then you get to a number which is about seven or $8 million per school. If you add Texas and Oklahoma, that's just per year per school. To per the year per school. Yes. Nobody's so going to say you're looking no. at something closer, like 55, 56 million per school. I, per six, year. I think it's way more than that. I think it's like almost 70. It's going to keep do? going. I think it's going to keep going. Yeah. So it, it, anyway, just, just another way to think about it. If you're an SEC fan and you're taking all these, all the heat from people that are SEC fatigue, just say, all right, well, if you're, if you're tired of us, we'll just take all your teams and, have an even better conference than that. So um, we don't really care if the Pac-12 plays for our championship. We're better than you anyway. Um, all right. Speaking of the Pac-12, US, former USC quarterback JT Daniels, it was reported on Monday, will enter the transfer portal. Emory Jones at Florida was supposed to enter the transfer portal. That hasn't happened yet. Caleb Williams at Oklahoma, the superstar freshman, has been reportedly interested in USC and Georgia. It seems like he's a heavy USC lean. I think that would completely change the dynamic at Georgia in 2022 in terms of defending their title but it does it, it feels so strange but it feels almost appropriate that the JT Daniels story arc ends with I'm going to go into the portal and go play for my third team even though I've got a championship ring on my finger it just feels like it was sort of the logical conclusion to the story and Georgia's just gonna have to cut their losses on that one <laughs> you had your year yeah it's coming um the six and oh is a starter <laughs> Never lost. <laughs> he's probably just, I'd love to have just a sit down interview with him, see what he's was thinking. I hope someone does that at some point. JT Daniels just inside his head this entire year during the Georgia season, maybe shed some light on the questions we were all asking for the entire season. Well, he did a sit down. It was like early, this is like before the season. I want to say he did a sit down with Marty McGee and talked about like some of the mental, mental health stuff he's been going through. And like, he sort of opened up a little bit, but like not since, the game started. started yeah, yeah. and and it, he he looked genuinely like he and Stetson Bennett were like in a bear hug on the sideline so it's not like they yeah. weren't like, no 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 they're clearly supportive of each other but you're right I would love to know like all right when he throws that touchdown pass in the in the early in the fourth quarter and to take the lead and the place goes crazy like what's going through your head probably just joy but mm-hmm. I don't know where he's gonna end up again by the time you hear this he could have already announced that he's back at Georgia we don't know this is how the portal works these days you got to sort of just roll with it. Um, but it is worth noting that if Caleb Williams comes to Georgia, I might change my pick on who wins the sec next year. That that's how really? important, that's how important that player could be in theory. Um, uh, we'll just, again, that's, that's how much he could mean. I think he's going to go to USC. If I, if I, if, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, what does it say? What are your, I haven't read specifically about, you know, what or why it, at USC, I mean, I understand, but does he have other connections there? Well, the Lincoln Riley, his head coach at Oklahoma, is the reason. <laughs> I know the obvious one, but is there? I mean, I guess that's enough if you played under him and it yeah. works. I, and again, it, it it's sort of surprising that he hasn't announced already. Again, as of taping on Tuesday afternoon, like we we haven't heard yet, but it does feel like he's going to go USC if he goes to again if he goes to Georgia, and we'll get to the early um, top twenty-five like Athlon Sports. Stephen Lassen, our good friend, put out a 
their top 25 has the order of preseason rankings already for the SEC. I suppose I could just throw these out there if you want me to do it now. Yeah, I do it. Um, Georgia's the pick in the East, of course. Then Kentucky two, Tennessee three, South Carolina four. That's that's way too rich for my blood for South mm-hmm. Carolina. Florida five, Missouri six. Um, your Vanderbilt Commodores in seventh. Uh, Alabama number one in the nation mm-hmm. and number one in the West. Texas A&M two, Arkansas three, LSU four, Mississippi State five, Ole Miss six, and Auburn seventh. Preseason potential seventh place predicted finish by the Auburn Tigers. We got a lot of months to talk about that one. Um, but I, Alabama is a clear number one in the country. Georgia would probably be two or three, give or take. I think with Caleb Williams, you could argue they're on, on, a same, on the same level as Alabama again. So that's how much he might mean to that team, in my opinion. Texas A&M is going to uh, not be a joke either. So they'll be given both teams to run for their money. So it could come down to something like Texas A&M doesn't win it, but ends up messing it up for somebody else. I could definitely see that happening. Oh, I, I think they're preseason top five. They've got much better quarterback options this year. They're going to have a ton of weapons. The offensive line is going to be great. They got a, a lot of stuff to replace on defense, but A&M to me looks very dangerous. I'm with you on that one. So um, then you just see, can you just imagine that just keeps adding SEC teams, to the 14 playoff and Greg Sankey's like just cracking his knuckles and sitting back. It's like, I mean, oh. he's literally trolling people on the podium. Like, like, actively trolling people on the podium like accepting the trophy so yeah he's like oh, i think this works fine isn't that what he said basically yeah. something something along those lines um so we'll keep an eye on the transfer portal it's a big deal obviously um keep an eye on jt daniels uh, i was glancing at you did some numbers you did some research on this too but i was i was watching sort of matthew stafford and the rams on monday night dominate the the cardinals two sec signed quarterbacks kyler murray goes to a&m he transfers out eventually goes to, to play for Oklahoma, but he did sign with an SEC school in Texas A&M. Uh, and of course, Matthew Stafford was one of the, the biggest early recruits from, from uh, Mark Richt era, uh, 2000, I think he was a 2005 class, five-star kid out of Texas. I was looking at the names. You got Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. And obviously Stafford went to Georgia. Um, Tannehill went to Texas A&M. He was a three-star recruit, but he played in the Big 12 technically, but he played wide receiver and quarterback. And then Joe Burrow obviously won a national championship at LSU through the, you know, via Ohio State. But you also have Rodgers who went JUCO. Garoppolo went to Eastern Illinois. Josh Allen went to JUCO and then ended up at Wyoming. Um, But three of them are from Texas. Three of them are from California. If you add in Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, and Dak Prescott, all of whom played in the playoff, all of whom led their teams to the playoff, You've got a bunch of kids from Texas playing at SEC schools now playing in the playoffs. And it used to not be like that. The quarterback position in the SEC is very different today than it was 15 years ago. It is. The numbers are, um, well, A, two things. And you and I talked about this a little bit earlier. But what that should show, and I don't remember if you tweeted about this, Braden, or maybe you just said it to me. But the numbers out of California with those guys were interesting because it should be a red flag to anyone that just looks at it, that they're getting uh, California talent is leaving probably more than it should. So what can the PAC 12 do to kind of keep those guys on the home front? And then, you know, does that show that there's more potential there than we've thought about in recent years or that we expect from them? So interesting. And then yes, the total number of SEC players in the playoffs this year will be 154 it would be if you were if you went ahead and counted texas and ou it would be 183 which you can't really count them yet but just for our but just for just to know 
Um, and then the, I think the second highest, let's see, no one be, even comes within the big, the big 10 or the ACC gotta be one of those two. The ACC only has 114. Actually the PAC 12 has more players in the playoffs this year than oh, the nice. ACC. If these numbers are right by 20. Good for you, PAC 12. I know. I don't know what the big tens numbers are. I thought I had them on here, but I don't. No, I think the potential for the Pac-12 is always there. I mean, obviously, that's like one of Godfrey's like talking points. But Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Josh Allen. Also, if you want to throw in Derek Carr from California, mm -hmm. then you look at all the guys who have come to the East Coast and to the SEC, specifically from California. I mean, like Matt Corral, Tua Tungavailoa. I know he's from Hawaii, but that's got to be considered a Pac-12 <laughs> recruiting territory. Yeah, um, should be. You know, Bryce Young, like all these guys. You know, Brock Bowers comes from California is a star tight end for Georgia. Like you've got all these guys there. It's clear that the PAC 12 has opportunity just looking at who ends up in the NFL. I, I will say that it used to be, it's no surprise that the sec is dominating the roster as a whole. Cause they dominate the draft and that's all the best players. Yes. But I think the quarterback position in particular used to be that you could kind of find a guy anywhere and even Brady Rogers Stafford, like these guys are pretty old. <laughs> like they, you got to go back to the nineties to recruit Tom Brady. Right. From, from California. I, I do think that it used to be in the SEC, you had all the best other things and not the best quarterbacks. And now you're starting to see not only do they have all the best other things, but they also have the best quarterbacks too, which is dangerous. Yeah. And do you think some of that has to do with just stylistically how things have progressed and strategy wise? Because we used to think of old school SEC is like you have these just dominant running backs that can just run it straight through and like lots of strength and speed. But We've seen some of the offensive schema evolve over the years. So do you think that's been attractive to guys uh, and has changed the way we rec recruit? Yeah, it's all Nick Saban. It's Nick Saban spearheading the evolution of the game yeah. and everybody's saying, all right, I guess we got to follow his lead on this. <laughs> yep. Which that's by exactly the way, what happens. which by the way, I do love Nick Saban growing into his own, like I'm going to start taking a stand on issues in life. I mm -hmm. love that about Nick Saban. Me he, was too. All, he was the first guy to, ever, to get vaccinated and preach about vaccinations. He was the he was out there with Black Lives Matter. He's now out there signing, you know, letters to senators in his home state to get him to, you know, support voting rights like this new this new like uh, socially active Nick Saban. I'm, I'm in favor of it. I like it. I, you may disagree with him and that's fine. But like I, I I'm all, all I'm all for people that have a platform using their platform to stand for something they believe in, like good or bad, whatever. Right. Let, let history judge that. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with guys doing this. I love Nick Saban signing a letter like that. Uh, yeah. And I, you see him in his old age and guys loved playing for Saban. He's hard to play for. We know that because he's tough on you, but he's more vocally an advocate for his guys. I think he always was, it was just a little bit quieter, but you see him in his older age kind of, you know, he did it with Bryce Young in that press conference after the game. He's like, just so you know, he, before they even started talking, like these are like, it's not their fault. This game doesn't define them, whatever. And I'm, we're seeing it go into more social, more social issues. And he doesn't take a strong stand on political parties. It's just things that have to do with um, recruiting. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, but just like, I mean, there's an equality factor that he's talked, always talked about how yep. sports is supposed to bring, you know, equality and um that it should be a stage for that and it is so you should it should be okay to want everybody to get to vote i'm all about this saving i'm into it yeah I, I am too i do love the um i don't care about his name 
the the representative from South Carolina who was like <laughs> on Twitter, like, hey, maybe Nick Saban needs to worry more about winning national titles. And I'm like, really? He's got that. That's the problem. <laughs> He's doing okay. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm again, if you want to, I think arguing about, you know, access to voting is pretty dumb in a democracy in our country. But if you want to do it, I'm happy to do it at Braden Gall on Twitter. But, and again, if you disagree with your public sports figures taking a stand, I also am okay with you disagreeing with that. I, that's not how I feel. I think sports and, and politics in our country have intersected for 150 years and it's never going to change. So, uh, you know, whatever, Jackie Robinson's cool, whatever. Um, I, I, I just, and again, if you want to disagree, that's fine. You just have to sort of take the right shot at him. You can't, you can't be like from the, you can't be from the Gamecock state and be like, dude, focus more on winning to the guy at Alabama. Like you can't. That ain't it, bro. <laughs> that ain't it. What, what office, how high could Nick Saban go and still win? elected officials <laughs> oh like God, clearly, clearly a senator in alabama right oh 1000 percent. governor of alabama i think he could win that could he, i don't know what nationally elected like office other than president or vice president i guess i don't know like secretary of state like i don't, I don't know what else he could i be. mean you can be a state senator without being the right right like one, one of, of the, the two or four of, from your state um yeah why does dakota have four i don't understand it's a that's a subject that's lost on me that's a different podcast and it's probably yeah. not going to be best uh I, carried listen, out if tommy if tommy tuberville can be a senator in the state of alabama then nick saban can surely win an election state. i think he could be the governor yes 100 percent. he's got the systems down he gets shit done it's more than a lot of politicians can say give him any secretary of whatever i feel like his process would work like it doesn't matter what what you're the secretary of, state, defense, transportation, health, education. I, I don't care. Like, give it to him and just plug it into his formula, and I, I think it's, and I think it would work. I think it it's would at work. least worth a try. <laughs> you know, better than we're currently doing. We should um, try it. All right. Uh, what what else we got? NFL players in the playoffs. We got TV ratings expansion. Nick Saban taking a stand for voting rights. Cool job. Um, we got California just serving up players to the Pac-12 and to the SEC taking them all. So yep. we've what talked about we a have? lot of this stuff before. Um, JT this Daniels, chill week. yeah, it's been nice. It's been kind of nice. I'm looking forward to the championship game or the uh, divisional round of football. Oh, oh, by the way, while we while we're on the topic, you know how everyone's like dunking on the college football playoff for being bad. Yeah, the first weekend of the playoffs in the NFL was was awful. It was atrocious. No good. There's like one good football game. So college football is not alone yeah sometimes it's just unavoidable what do you think of that that system needs mending too Braden? I, I think they i think they expanded it too much to go to 14 but like i i think when we sit down to do this show next week there'll be a very different set of games i think this weekend it's going to be four really good games with eight really good teams the ratings are going to be huge and i think we're gonna have a very different conversation next week but I think this week I didn't watch a whole lot of the ends of many of those games. There's a bunch of blowouts. It wasn't all that great. So and they probably don't care because a lot of people did watch probably. all of those games. Yes, they did. And they've got big, big, huge brands and big, big name star quarterbacks. And like, you know, when you have Kansas city and green Bay and San Francisco and Tom Brady, and like, it's going to be, it's going to be a big number this weekend, but it'll be fun to are watch. You, and I'm excited. So are you going to get to, are you going to go to any of the games here? I should be at the Titans game this weekend if I'm allowed out of my house. Ruh-roh. That's, that's not a wife joke. Not a wife joke. 
Yep. <laughs> in fact, Braden's my wife is probably stuck. desperately asking me to get out of the house. She's like, you're dismissed. Thank you. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, okay. When we return here on Fringe Element, you will hear from Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. We're going to dive deep into Billy Napier's first six or seven weeks on the job and discuss the Florida Gators when we return right here on Fringe Element. Fringe Element, Aaron Dugan, is brought to you by Jaspers, keeping you keeping you hot and spicy. <laughs> With their really? red bell pepper essence? Um, no, with their making sure your body, making sure you stay snatched. You can urban dictionary that, Braden. I don't want to. Is that pretty bad? Actually, I'm going to urban dictionary it to make sure we don't have to cut this out. Well, if it, does it just mean like uh, like you're in a relationship? No, it's you're all like, snatched up. It no, I don't. I was using it as like that. People say like your waist is snatched, so like, like you're shredded. Yeah, you like stay, okay. you're like fit. That's so stupid. I hate young people so much. <laughs> I, I, I know. That's kind of why I said it. I love Jaspers. I hate young people. I'm a geriatric millennial. Go to hell, all you young people. But you can still eat out, which is the point of going, you yes. You can that, still that eat out true. without letting yourself go to shit. Like personally, I'm going to Mexico in two months and I oh, can't wow. afford to be just eating um, crap, but I still go to Jaspers because I so can get stuff that's healthy. Go to Jaspers. The parking is free. Stay snatched. Does that work? <laughs> they're going to, I don't know if they're going to like the tagline, but it works for what we're doing here. Can you use it in a sentence, please? Um, she looked totally snatched in that swimsuit. Okay. All right. I don't recommend you ever using it. And I probably won't ever use it again. I, I only use words like that. Ironically, it's that's it. I can't, I have no, cho I have that will not come out of my mouth in a serious way. I hope ever. We, so, um, you can tell that my wife and I are quarantining because we watched uh, Are You the One? Um, season two. What's that? Uh, season two. Um, it's basically a logic problem for adults, also being a reality show for young, stupid, hot people that are totally snatched. Like it's all just <laughs> gorgeous. It's all just gorgeous people in Hawaii. And they have to figure out, they have to match up that there's 10 guys and 10 girls and they've got to match it up, you know? Okay. So that, and if they get all 10 matches correct, because it's been preordained by like the psychology machine or whatever. Um, and they've been pre-matched or whatever based on all their criteria. And if you get all 10, right, they win like a million bucks or whatever and, huh. and split amongst the 20 of them. And my wife and I will not watch the final two episodes because we wanted to get it right. So we did like the entire logic problem. We had like the X's and the zeros and like played out every scenario. What? We got the legal pad going and we looked at each other the next day and we were like, that is some peak pandemic shit right there. <laughs> i mean that's that's bad it was bad go to jasper's where the food is great not bad it's just a sign i think when we start watching really bad reality tv shows it's we it's when we know we need to get out of the house and go to jasper's so right that's, that's what that's what happens to us um and you can eat healthy you can keep your new year's i like to call them intentions not resolutions because that creates a pass fail in your brain and you don't want that you want to just sort of mm -hmm. like you want to be like uh bryce young 70 percent completion percentage every time just yep you can cheat. Nice 80, 20 rule. Yeah, there you go. See, you got it. Um, and, and Jasper's has great healthy food for that. If you're, if you just want to take a break from the burger and the chicken wings, you, you got the shrimp and goodies, you got the, uh, the super bowl, you got all kinds of good salads. Stuff yeah. Avocado toast, all that great stuff. So go to Jasper's everybody. It's a wonderful place to be. Matt, thank you so much, man, for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate it. How are you? Happy off season. 
<laughs> about time, right? I, I took a couple of days to decompress and ready to jump back in. Well, and that's sort of what Billy Napier is doing, of course, at Florida. And we want to talk a lot of Florida here on the show. But what has the response been? I know he had that sort of like stupid thing at the press conference where fans overreacted. But what has the fans' reaction been to the first five, six weeks of him working on the job? Uh, fans overreacting in college football, you say, about absolutely nothing of importance? I, <laughs> I am stunned. My goodness. Um, but, but seriously, I think fans are kind of trusting hate to say this, but they're trusting in the process, right? Um, they understand that what Billy Napier is inheriting is not a fantastic situation. Dan Mullen is no longer the coach at, at the University of Florida because he did not recruit at a high enough level. That's the, the if I had to sum it up in one sentence, that's it. So the, the cupboard isn't bare, but also I don't think anybody expects Florida to like knock off or, or hang with Georgia and win the East next year. I don't think that's a realistic thing. So I think most reasonable fans understand that this is going to take some time. And what Billy is doing is really starting at the foundation, following the Saban blueprint, the Saban process to it, you know, not completely, but a, a lot of it's kind of the same in terms of building the infrastructure. I mean, just uh, on Tuesday, uh, filling out the coaching staff, that sort of thing, trying to get the foundation there for a long-term thing where I, I don't think they're going to win the East next year, might not win it in, in 23 either. But if this works the way Billy and the Gators wanted to, it's going to be a slower build, making progress along the way to eventually get into that national championship caliber. I think it, there, there seems to be a, a misconception. I think Florida is viewed by most accurately as one of the premier jobs in the world that you can win anything you ever want to win there. We've seen multiple coaches do it in the last you know 30 years. But that there's also some other things that like indoor practice facility was sort of late coming on board. And it seems like Billy, as a coach, is bringing on this massive staff of people and just like, like what, what is he doing differently than, than that Florida has not had in the past? If that makes sense, sort of like when you talk about that foundation, what is it that he's actually doing that's different than Florida coaches in the past? Yeah, so Florida has been moving forward in, I would argue, the right direction for the last couple of years, right? Uh, 2015, I believe it was when they finally opened an indoor practice facility. I am not a facilities guy. I don't, I don't know why one weight room needs to be much better than the other. It's, it's a place to, to lift. Um, however, having an indoor practice facility in the state of Florida, that's a must. I, I don't know if you're aware, but it rains a lot in the summer, like every single day. So the, the, you know, I, I'm here in Tampa. USF does not have one. That they're, in, they're in the process of it. The amount of time over the years USF has lost by not having an indoor practice facility, it, it, it's a lot. And it adds up and then you're having to rejigger practice around and all that sort of thing. And it's, it, it's a major loss. So Florida got that. Um, they're building the standalone football complex that's set to open later this year. So they've made some steps in the right direction that they didn't, you know, Steve Spurrier didn't have this. So therefore we don't need it. That was the mentality for so many years. And that's been going away before Napier retired. Now, what is Napier doing and what has he done? And what will he do going forward? He's building an army that he says is unprecedented, is the word he used after getting hired. Unprecedented and kind of the size and scope of, of it. So it's going to be, I think, a lot of ways in the Alabama model where there's analysts and there's analysts for analysts and analysts for analysts and analysts. Um, but it's all kind of constructed in such a way that makes sense. You know, He had to sell this vision to Scott Strickland, the AD, and it's going to cost a lot more money. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I think it was like five or $7 million just in support staff. And that was necessary because, and you know, Billy made the case, here's why we need this. Here's why we need this. Here's why we need that. 
And some of it's just, this is what it takes to compete. Some of it is spread the work around so everybody's not overloaded and you're not burning people out. And, and there's kind of everything has its purpose is the way that it's um, at least portrayed in, in theory. Now, we'll see how it works in practice in the coming months and years. It, it feels like a fascinating time to be where you're located with Mike Norvell sort of along the right track at, at Florida State. We think that Mario Cristobal is going to come bring this sort of recruiting assassin mentality back to Miami, but they've got a long way to go. They also feel like they're sort of reinvesting finally in football. Does it feel like they're all sort of at the starting gate here in terms of the next 10 years of football in the state of Florida in terms of recruiting and on-field play? Yeah, and then let's not forget UCF because um, UCF is moving to the Big 12, and I have not fully wrapped my head yet around what that's going to mean. I mean, for, for so many years, it was the big three, right? Florida, Florida State, Miami. It is UCF a big four? I mean, they're going to be in a power conference, but it's going to be the weakest of the power conferences, arguably. Are they going to be able to crack through with that tradition? Because if you look at it the last what, five years, they've been more successful than anybody kind of over the whole period. So that's just another wrinkle. Um, in some, It's definitely a new start for Florida and Miami, no question, with, with the new coaches. And, and Mario, I think, is doing something similar in terms of getting the infrastructure. But again, he's a Saban guy, right? So beefing things up, beefing facilities up, infrastructure, he, he's doing a very similar thing. Norvell's kind of the wild card in this, um, just because FSU is, they are the most stable of the, of the programs right now, because it's his third year. Um, and you can see the way that they took baby steps along the way. But can I sit here today on, as we record this on January 18th, and tell you that I think Mike Norvell that I know Mike Norvell is going to win a championship or be the guy who can push FSU back to where they were under Jimbo. I don't know that I can say that yet. Um, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but you're still asking me to take a leap that he can go from, I think, a good X's and O's coach who has been a fine recruiter, but to take that next step and get everybody bought into the vision um, and, and get, you know, get Florida State's facilities up to snuff too. So I don't know that I can tell you definitively he's the guy. I still don't know after two seasons just because 2020 was so weird and 21 there was progress but there's also some major major problems in you know, jacksonville state the most obvious so the, Flor the florida roster obviously we know the portal and you know signing day still coming and like there's a whole lot that's to be left to de to decide for everybody in college football but antonio richardson feels like the guy he's got supreme talent and ability is he the starting quarterback for florida and obviously the line of scrimmage is a main concern so quarterback and then line of scrimmage how do you feel if you're a Florida fan heading into spring practice and obviously the summer yeah so Florida is beefing up the, the line of scrimmage you know just the other day got one of the, the transfers from Louisiana that that Napier had there uh, and all sun uh, all sunbelt um, linemen so they are kind of addressing that need uh, I don't think the line was awful last year but it needs to get better I mean I go back to what Mullen said and after um, losing to Alabama in the SEC title game in 2020 the difference between where we are and where they were was along the lines of scrimmage, offense and defensive line. And that kind of showed up over the course of the year where it, again, they weren't bad, but they weren't at the elite level. And that's where one way that that floor is going to have to get better. Just kind of one tangent on this. One of the things that's different about Napier than some of the other coaches, he's going to, to call the plays. So there's not going to have another offensive coordinator. And, and by doing that, he's going to free up the position and going to have two offensive line coaches just because this is a position of need, not just Florida specific, everybody. So that's how we're going to devote more time to it. Um, and, and quarterback, 
I think it's Anthony Richardson's show, but I would not swear to it right now. I mean, I remember on the, the early signing day, I was up in Gainesville when news broke that Emory Jones was, was going to enter the transfer portal. And it wasn't like a thinly sourced thing. No, he told ESPN and Yahoo that it was going to happen. As we sit here today, he's still at Florida um, and has not entered the portal. So I don't know how that dynamic is going to shake out. Um, Anthony Richardson clearly is supremely talented. Uh, Florida hasn't had a quarterback like him in a while and the way he can run, the way he can throw. But he also wasn't the starter for the reason for, throughout most of the year. And he was banged up. And I don't know that he quite understood the playbook th to the extent that Emory Jones did. So we'll see whether he's able to develop and how Billy is able to develop him. Because if Anthony Richardson hits the way, I mean, his ceiling is sky high. If he hits that, then Florida is going to be very good next year and, and going to be kind of ahead of track on the, the rebuilding schedule. Yeah, I think I called him Antonio, uh, who was a former five-star recruit from Nashville who played at uh, University of Tennessee. So my apologies to Anthony Richardson for that. Um, you mentioned Napier and the recruiting, and I'll, I'll let you go with this because obviously that's the, the number one issue here for Florida under Dan Mullen. Well, they had a class in the 70s, give or take, whatever. It doesn't really matter exactly what number, but it matters where you are. They've, they've done a pretty good job uh, under Billy Napier the first couple of months on the job. Is that real? Is that something that's replicated that's that's a sign of things to come, or is that just, hey, we got spots and Florida's a really good place to play football? I think some of it is real. I, I'm not reading a whole lot into the rankings. I, I've evolved on this in the, the early signing era. It's so hard for a coach to do anything in his first recruiting class because he comes in with, with two weeks or whatever it is. And most of the guys he's going to be recruiting at Florida were not, he was not recruiting at Louisiana. So it, it's a different pool he's swimming in. So I, I kind of look at some of the ways he was able to get some guys. I mean, Wilson, the five-star safety out of IMG Academy. I think Mullen off the top of my head signed two five-star recruits out of high school in his whole tenure and was not able to tap into IMG Academy, which is teeming with guys from across the country who are extremely talented. It's a couple hours from Gainesville. So the fact that Napier immediately, you know, two weeks or whatever it was, was able to get a five-star from IMG, that tells me that's a sign that he can do this. Um, is, does that mean he's going to, you know, next year we're going to be talking about the Gators and the Georgia, Bama, Texas A&M pantheon of recruiting right now? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but it's at least a step in the right direction and some sort of a proof of concept that as I look at this, here's a sign that he knows what he's doing and maybe he can do it going forward. Yeah, I interviewed him the week he took Louisiana job and it was like a week before the first early signing period. And I've told this story a million times, but I asked him, what's your strategy going into the early signing period? He said, I'm not going to sign a single player. Like yep. it just didn't, didn't take a single player. And I just, it's one of those moments in an interview, even five, six years later, you remember as a, as one of us talking heads, just going, that seems different. And now you, we know what we know about Billy. He's taking everything from Saban. Uh, we'll see if it works. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time, man. Happy new year. And uh, get a, get a little breather before uh, spring practice and, and the portal and all that stuff uh, buries you. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. That was Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. I thought really interesting, uh, Aaron, what what he's what Billy Napier is doing down in Florida. He's hired like 35 people. He's pouring like millions of dollars into support staff. They are re they're opening finally a football only facility. He's gone from 70 to 35 in the recruiting rankings. Like there's just there's a in reason. like how long in like a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, it was and a big jump. And, and I think Matt talking about going into IMG Academy and getting a five-star safety, which is like something Dan Mullen couldn't do at any point during his three or four years. 
I do. Th- who knows if that's long term? Um, but I do find it. There was a reason we were all so very high on the Billy Napier hire, and that it was such an obvious fit at Florida. Yeah, I mean, you have the resources to do pretty much whatever you want there. You just have to have the energy and the vision to be able to do it. And for him to immediately recognize when a coach comes in and starts immediately hiring extra people or getting budgets approved to hire extra people, I think they're on the right path because that's, that is appreciating what help can do and um, other people's skill sets and knowledge. And it's normally a good sign. So it, it also, it's a great point that you make here because it also means he came into that meeting and that interview with that plan, yes. right? It, it, it's the way Davo Sweeney presented his case to be Clemson's head coach. When he was the interim, he said, look, here's what you got to spend on. We got to build all this stuff to be mm-hmm. good at Clemson. And they did it. Peyton Manning famously, you know, he and Ryan Leaf were sort of neck and neck for the number one draft pick. And, you know, Peyton Manning famously walked into every meeting with every team with like a giant three ring notebook on how he was going to run the team and the system and the organization and blah, blah, blah. And Ryan Leaf walked in with like cargo shorts and flip flops, you know, like mm-hmm. love the guy. He's one. He's I love the guy. I, I, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend, but like not the same as Peyton Manning. So it, no. what it tells me is that Billy Napier walked into that meeting with Scott Strickland saying, here's all the stuff you're going to buy for me. And here's how we're going to use it. And here's why we need to do it. And that that's what I like. I like that organizational structure from him. Yep. And Scott Strickland, you know, as we know, wants to win and can get stuff done on the fly. So um, it'll be interesting to watch Florida try to reclaim their spot in the East, but they're going to have some competition. It's wide open, man. Uh, Georgia's the front. I mean, this at the top, really. Georgia's the top dog, but every other team is every other team, like outside of Vanderbilt. Every other team is like in that group together. You're right. There's not a lot between them and the top, but there is a one big dog, as you said. Yes. Yes. All right. I'm glad you joined that, by the way. Glad you joined me on the the dad joke train there. I do. Yeah. I couldn't leave you out there alone. (sighs) Thank you for saving me. I do appreciate it. Um, Aaron, where can people find you? Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram or the Aaron Dugan on Twitter. Thank you so much for all the work you do, of course, for the YouTube channel as well. Go check that out. Subscribe, comment. All that great stuff. Whatever you do on the YouTube channel, do it. Aaron does great work uh, to put it up there every single week for you guys, so we do appreciate that. Um, you can get to me on Twitter, at Braden Gall, at Braden D. Gall on Instagram, at 440 Sports across every platform. And, of course, our wonderful title sponsor, Fringe Element, brought to you by the great folks at Jaspers. Totally snatched. Go to Jaspers, everybody. I Thank hate you all. that I taught you that. Thank you. Don't worry, I won't use it again. Thank you all for listening. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Podcast Network. Later. Later.